Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Take heed to yourselves. See, this is so vitally important because if the pastor loses sight of his own spiritual life, then everything else is going to be a disaster. So the pastor has to give attention to his own life spiritually, and that's where Paul starts. Take heed to yourself. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Acts. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Acts, chapter 20, verses 17 through 32, in a message titled, A Word to Pastors. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So, here we are in, um, in our study here in Acts, and kind of interestingly, the message today is a word for pastors. Now, we're, we're going to look at um, Paul's word to the pastors today. It is one of the greatest passages in the whole book of Acts, and in some ways, it's just one of those great, great texts in the whole of Scripture. So, it's a great passage to think about together and for us to, to just kind of get the biblical picture of what the pastor is about, what the, what the life and uh, the ministry of the pastor is like. So, so now, as, as we're making our way now, as we come to kind of the, the final portion of the book of Acts even today, as you notice, we're picking up in verse 17 of chapter 20, and uh, the first, first uh, 16 verses we have passed over. But let me just give you just a quick overview of those so we can just keep the continuity going of the story. So the, the, the 20th chapter begins with these words, after the uproar had ceased. And so at the end of chapter 19, uh, there was the big uproar over Diana of the Ephesians and, and you know all of that stuff that took place there. And so the story now picks up after that. And so Paul had departed from Ephesus because of the situation there. And he went back across the Aegean Sea to Greece. And he remained in Greece for three months and then persecution broke out against him, as it did often occur. And so he then left and sailed back across to Troas. And he sailed to Troas. He stayed there for seven days. And then he went to Miletus. That's where the, the story that we read took place. Uh, Paul's ultimate objective was to get to Jerusalem to try to be there for the day of Pentecost. But there's one thing that happened during those seven days that Paul was in Troas that I wanted to just draw our attention to really quickly. And maybe you remember the story. Uh, Paul had gathered the church together. Now remember, he was not going to see any of these people again. He had spent these years now ministering among them, uh, leading many of them to Christ personally, and then discipling them. But he's no longer going to be doing that. And so he, he's aware of that. So he gathers in Troas, he gathers a group of people together and they're, they're gathered in a, a home or you know, some kind of a place. But it says that Paul, 
he preached late into the night. And so he, you know, he's wanting to just pour as much into them as he can this last time. So he's going on and on preaching. And, it, and it's after midnight and he's still preaching. And there's a young man named Eutychus. And Eutychus is there listening to Paul. He's sitting in a precarious place, evidently, up in the third loft. And as Paul goes on, Eutychus dozes off and falls down from the third loft and hits the ground and dies. So, you know, what a way to end your ministry in Troas. You know, one of your disciples falls down because you're preaching long, he falls down and dies. But Paul runs down and throws himself on the young man and he is revived or he's, he's resurrected. He's brought back to life. And Paul then delivers him to the family and it says that everybody was greatly comforted. But the point that I want to make is, you know, here in Acts 20, you have the account of a resurrection from the dead, but Luke just kind of skims right over it. I mean, he tells you that it happened, but that's all he does. He doesn't go to any, into any further detail. So here it is in Miletus. Now, Miletus is about... Uh, 35, 40 miles, the other side of Ephesus. So Paul intentionally didn't, he didn't want to go to Ephesus, it said. He didn't want to, he was trying to get to Jerusalem for Pentecost. He, he thought probably would get bogged down if he went to Ephesus. So he sailed past Ephesus, went to Miletus, and then he called for the elders of the church to meet him in Miletus. And so it's here that uh, Paul takes them and gives them this instruction. So through Paul's words to the Ephesian elders, we learn from both his example and his exhortation to them what pastoral ministry looks like. And so that's our focus today. We're going to look at what pastoral ministry looks like. First of all, through Paul's example. Secondly, through Paul's exhortation. And then the third and final thing that we'll look at is Paul's confidence in the sovereignty of God as he ultimately will leave them. So let's, let's look first of all at Paul's example of what pastoral ministry is to be like. So verse 19, he said, serving the Lord. This is, he's describing himself. This is, they know this is how he was among them. Serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel or purpose or will of God. So Paul 
reminds them of his practice among them. And we're going to look at a few things here. First of all, he says that he served the Lord in humility. And then we can add to that, that he served the Lord in sincerity and in sacrificially. Look at verses 33 and 34. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessity and for those who were with me. So the first thing is that Paul was there in humility. Now, Paul was, um, you know, he was a man who could have been proud. He had a lot of natural things that he could have been proud of, a lot of accomplishments. And not only that, but he had some pretty amazing spiritual power. And sometimes when a, a person, you know, is accomplished or a person has, you know, a certain amount of spiritual power, you know, sometimes that can, that can go to a person's head. And they can end up being prideful. We've been studying the, the life of uh, David, and we looked at King Saul, and we saw how King Saul was a humble guy, and God exalted him, made him the king, but it went to his head, and then became, he became an egomaniac and uh, ruined everything. And, and that danger is there when a person is elevated. But Paul maintained he was a humble person. And so he served among them humbly. He was there really to serve is the right word. He was there as a servant to them. And we see that he was sincere from verse 33. In other words, he had no ulterior motive. He wasn't doing this to get anything from them. He wasn't trying to make money as a minister of the gospel. He wasn't trying to enrich himself. He says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. It wasn't about enriching himself. He was there to enrich them. And they could see that because he, his lifestyle communicated that. And then we see that he was sacrificial, that he worked with his own hands. He came to them and he worked among them his trade. We saw before that he was a tent maker and he paid his own way basically so that he could minister to them. So his whole point was, you know, that he had come there to serve them, not to get from them, but to give to them. And that is a a beautiful picture of what uh, pastoral ministry should be about. The pastor is is a servant there to give not there to get, not doing it for self-enrichment or, you know, to, to promote one's own agenda. Now, of course, the sad reality is that that hasn't been the case with everybody throughout the history of the church. You know, sometimes people, when you, even when you tell them maybe that, you know, you go to church, they say, oh, the church, man, that's all about money. They're just, they're just there to rip you off. And you know what? It's a sad reality that in some cases that has been true, but it's not true always. And as a matter of fact, if you kind of looked at the vast majority of people who have served the Lord, they've been more like Paul rather than more like the, you know, the false teachers that are doing it for the wrong reason and basically to enrich themselves. But Paul could point to his own experience and remind them. And we see also that he ministered, he says, with many tears and trials. Paul mentions tears a couple of times here. He mentions tears in his epistle and his epistles, but Paul, 
he wanted so desperately for people to really know Christ, and especially the Jews. He was a Jew, and he wanted his people, the Jewish people. I mean, after all, Jesus was their Messiah, and he wanted them so desperately to know the Messiah, but they, they didn't want to know him. And this caused Paul great heartbreak. And much, much of that weeping was over the fact that the Jews had missed their Savior. And, and so he, you know, he says, you, you saw my, my tears and you know about the trials that I had by the plotting of the Jews. So it was these, uh, these Jewish leaders who were resisting the message of Jesus being the Messiah that were at the, the root of the suffering that Paul was experiencing. They, they persecuted him or they, they influenced other people to persecute him. And so these things deeply grieved the apostle Paul. In writing to the church in Rome in the ninth chapter, maybe you remember reading this, Paul says there that he says, I would be a curse from Christ if possible for the sake of my kinsmen according to the flesh. In other words, he says, you know, if I could trade places, if I could go to hell and they could go to heaven, that's pretty much what he's saying. He said, I would trade places. That's how, that's how his heart was so full of love and passion for his people. But it caused great grief because they continued to resist the gospel. So tears, trials. And then he says that he taught them publicly and from house to house. Uh, Paul ministered publicly. We know that he was in the school of Tyrannus, which would have been a public, public assembly. Uh, but he also ministered privately. You know, again, Paul wasn't a celebrity pastor. He wasn't a rock star. He wasn't like, hey, you know, just save the big stage for me. And uh, I, I can't, I, I don't have any time for this, you know, small scale stuff. I don't have any time for these little people. I'm just here for the crowds. Uh, sadly, some, some have been like that. But Paul wasn't like that at all. Paul was like Jesus. Because Jesus, of course, you have these, references in the gospels where Jesus is preaching to the multitudes, but then you often find in the gospel, Jesus is sitting and having a conversation with individual people. I think of the woman at the well, uh, a Samaritan woman, and Jesus is telling her things that he hadn't even told the religious leaders. He's telling her, I'm the Messiah. So Paul follows in the footsteps of Jesus. He's happy to minister publicly to the, to the larger audiences, but he's just as happy to minister privately. Again, because the ministry wasn't about him, it was about the Lord and the people. And then he says, he, he speaks about his teaching. He says that he declared to them the whole counsel of God. So we see that Paul taught them. That was, that was uh, a main thing that he did in his ministry to them. And he remained there for those years. He was there for those three years. And he was teaching them the whole time that he was there. He said he taught them the whole counsel of God. Another word, you could translate the word counsel as purpose of God or will of God. So Paul taught them everything that they needed to know. He had already said, I didn't hold back anything that was profitable. I told you everything that you needed to know to be able to move forward and grow and mature and, and succeed in your Christian life. That's pretty much what he's saying. So he's teaching the believers, but he's also continues a ministry of evangelism because he talks about preaching 
repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ to both Jew and Gentile. So Paul carried on an evangelistic ministry as well. It wasn't simply that he just gathered only with the believers and taught them. He did that, but he kept up the efforts to reach those who didn't yet know Christ. And then he kind of sums everything up in these words. He says that I received from the Lord Jesus, the ministry was to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That was, that was Paul's life. His life was all about testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. And that's what he did. And that's what the ministry itself is about. The ministry is about God. The ministry is about his grace. And the job of the pastor is to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, we see as we come to verse 28, we see Paul's exhortation. So look at verse 28. He says, therefore, take heed to yourself. So he's talking about himself. I've not shown to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. And so as Paul now begins to exhort those, now these are the elders. So in the passage, we we have elders, overseers, and pastors or shepherds. They're all the same people. They're just different just different ways of describing them. So when you find these in, in scripture, now remember it was the elders of the church that he called for. So that's a reference to the elders. And then he's going to talk to them about overseeing. And then he's going to tell them to shepherd. So to oversee, the Greek word is episkopos, which means just that. It means to watch over. And that's the word, if you have an older translation, like the King James Version, it's going to read bishop. Uh, when you come to, say, 1 Timothy chapter 3. If anyone desires the office of a bishop, they desire a good thing. The word bishop comes from those two Greek words, to oversee. So it's much better, I think, to understand it as overseers, those who watch over. When I think of a bishop in my mind, I think of a guy in a long robe. I think of a, you know, kind of a miter type of a cap. But that's, that was just what bishops became throughout the long period of church history. The early days, the bishops were simply the overseers, but they were also the shepherds, the pastors. The word pastor and shepherd is the same word. It comes from the Greek word poimon, which means a shepherd. Now, this is what uh, Paul says to them, first of all. Notice this. Take heed to yourselves. See, this is so vitally important because if the pastor loses sight of his own spiritual life, then everything else is going to be a disaster. So the pastor has to give attention to his own life spiritually. And that's where Paul starts. Take heed to yourselves. Just because a person is in pastoral ministry doesn't mean that they're immune to challenges, difficulties, temptations, failures. You know, just like everybody else, pastors are vulnerable to those things So pastors, like everyone else, have to make sure they're attending to their own soul. Because whenever you see a pastor who has become shipwrecked, as we might say, where there's a a, a disaster that's occurred, there's a fall that's taken place, whatever it might be, this is what you know. 
they failed to do that. They failed to take heed to themselves. They failed to tend to their own spiritual well-being. So, so that's what he says to them first. That's where they start. So take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So now they are to shepherd the church of God. In Isaiah's prophecy in the 40th chapter, in the 11th verse, Isaiah prophesies about Jesus. And this is what he says about him. He says, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them close to his heart and gently lead those who are with young. Now, this is a prophecy, as I said, it's a prophecy of the Lord when he comes, but it is such a perfect breakdown of the responsibility of the pastor. This is exactly what a pastor is to do. A pastor is to feed the flock, tend the flock, lead the flock, and then just by very definition, uh, a shepherd uh, will protect the flock. And Paul mentions that here as well. But let, let me just walk you through each of these things really quickly. Number one responsibility of the shepherd or the pastor, it's the same, same word, same Greek word, poimen. So when you say Pastor Brian, you're actually saying shepherd, Brian. <laughs> That's what, every, like when you're, you know, sometimes when I'm uh, typing in pastor on a, maybe on a document or maybe texting it, you know what it always goes to? It always goes to like pasteurize or, you know, something like that. It's like they don't even know the word pastor exists. But uh, the, the word, you know, the old translation, the King James Version, it says, it doesn't say shepherd the flock of God. It says feed the flock of God because that's part of what the, the pastor should do. I think turning the word from feed to shepherd was the right thing because it's not just feeding, but that is a huge part of it. So feed the flock of God. What do we feed the flock of God? We feed the flock of God, God's word. God's word is the, the source of spiritual nourishment that he has given to his people. And the responsibility of the pastor, the shepherd, is to feed God's people God's word. And that's why we do what we do. That's why every time you come here, we've got our Bible. And we've got it open. And we're reading from it. And we're walking through the text and we're teaching it. We're not just you know, using it as a supplement to other things that we want to talk about. No, this is the substantial thing. We might bring in other things, you know, to supplement or to illustrate what we're saying, but what we're doing is we are teaching God's word because that's the way the flock of God is nourished. Now, I read a statistic just a few days ago that, that talked about like maturity levels among Christians and it was really interesting because actually the statistic was those who read the Bible most frequently were found to be the most spiritually mature. It wasn't even they studied the Bible. It wasn't that they, you know, listened to Bible studies, but they read it. And you think, well, that of course, because this is God's word. This is the food. And the more you ingest it, the more you take it in, just like, you know, it, 
works the same way for our bodies, right? The more we take in good food, the healthier and the stronger we become. Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled A Woman's Battle for Grace Why God is More Than You Expected and Everything You Need by Cheryl Broderson The battle for grace is real The battle rages on for men and women alike And the stakes are high Spiritual well-being, mental health, physical health, emotional health, and social well-being Grace affects every area of your life In her book, A Woman's Battle for Grace, Cheryl Broderson shares practical ways that men and women can draw on the available resources of God's grace. The book, A Woman's Battle for Grace by Cheryl Broderson, is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Acts. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.